Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Global Foster Care Warriors Conference. At this time, I welcome our speakers and, and our Master of Ceremonies, Dr. Lakeisha James. She's the CEO and founder of Designer Events by Lakeisha. And I want to give a special shout out and a, and a thank you to our sponsors as well. And thank you all for attending today. God bless you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Global Foster Care Conference. There are so many of you that has experience being a foster care. Some of you are probably still in foster care. Tonight, we will hear from some speakers that will share their story. So let's grab a pen and paper and let's take notes. So let's get started. I'd like to introduce to you our host, Regeline Gigi Sabat. She's a motivational keynote speaker, award-winning author, life coach, first-generation Haitian American, the host of Walk With Me podcast on JRQ TV, financial expert and CEO and founder of Life Service Center of America, LLC, endorsed by Les Brown. Welcome, Regeline. Thank you, Dr. James. So let's get started. I'm going to introduce to you our keynote speaker, Dr. Mark Sherwood. He's a neuropathic doctor and Michelle L. Neal Sherwood, doctor of esthopathy, DO, have a full-time wellness-based medical practice in Tulsa, Oklahoma called the Functional Medical Institute, where they adopt a whole person approach, which is outcome-based, looking at each individual's unique needs. We're all unique. Their goal is to help lead people down their path of true healing, to that end, there are two purposes. Number one, to extradite all self-imposed choice-driven disease conditions, and two, to eliminate the usage of necessary medications. Through their unique clinic, various diagnostic tests are used. Healing and prevention of common disease patterns are the norm. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our keynote speaker, Dr. Mark Sherwood. Thank you, Dr. James. I really appreciate it. It's really an honor to be here today with you all. Um, my wife passes on her greetings and love as well. I like to refer to my wife not as my uh, my spare rib, but she's my prime rib. So she is my pride and joy and my best friend. So so we're really together in this, and we have so much in common. It was really a, a match made in heaven, and I'll begin with our, our story, just so you understand our backgrounds really quickly. Um, we're both adopted, interestingly enough, um, and, and that's fascinating in itself. Uh, we actually were able to meet later on in life our our, our biological parents, and I'll, I'll talk about the significance of that a little bit later on, but certainly that does fill a void at times in your life because when you're adopted or you're not really in your own individual birth family, there is a void in your heart that really is unfillable until you actually get to see what that means. And actually with us, our faith is very important, so we've allowed God to fill that void if you get my drift. With that said, I want to begin by just uh, describing a childhood of mine that is one that was um, uh, always having in the back of my mind the idea that I wanted to be picked. I wanted to be picked. You know, I was that only kid who was adopted, even though my parents did a great job of telling me over and over again that I was special, that I was selected. Within the context of your life as you're a child, you don't really understand what that means because you really can't understand adult things as a child. And sometimes we need to understand that as parents and as, as adults that children are not capable, nor should they be dealing with adult choices that we have, but yet they're forced into that many times. And so I was forced into that situation. We're looking around at my, my fellow classmates and, and things of that nature. And interestingly enough, um, you know, I was different. And being an only kid and knowing you're different it puts you in a place of decision, decision that I was going to choose to be a victim or I was going to choose to be a victor. And I had that choice to make. And I chose early on 
that I was going to be a victor. And I chose early on to sort of have, if you will, a healthy chip on my shoulder to prove something that I could make it, that I was deserving of people, get this, picking me. Now, I've entitled my talk today, Hey, Hey, Pick Me. You're probably wondering what that has to do with anything. Well, I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But as I was growing up, it was interesting because I always wanted to be selected. I always wanted to beat somebody. I always wanted to win and prove my value and prove my worth. And kids can be in that place too, where they're trying to prove their value. So be looking for that as you see a child. They are valuable, but sometimes you have to reaffirm that value over and over and over again. But as a child, I was fortunate enough to be involved in sports and eventually was able to play high school baseball, football, and basketball. And in my school, we had a whopping 47 people and everybody knew your business. That meant that everybody knew I was adopted and everybody knew I was different. But I didn't let that deter me at all because I went on to play college baseball and graduate from college, being the first college graduate in my entire family which was, was quite a unique accomplishment considering we came from poverty. And most people don't think you can climb out of that, but I'm here to tell you, you can climb out of that. And that led me to eventually uh, a career in professional baseball that short-lived, but nonetheless, it was professional baseball. And then I was able to join the police department where I served 24 years. And during that time, I was able to travel around the world on a world-famous power team and break bricks with, yes, my head. So I'm still alive to tell about that. The bottom line is, even during that time being on the SWAT team for 10 years, I saw a lot and experienced a lot. To bring us to current, uh, my wife and I have co-authored three number one best-selling books, and we've produced five movies. But our biggest thing that we try to do is lead people down a pathway of true healing, which is my endeavor today with this talk, because people in our world, especially children, need to walk in divine health. And what I mean by that, I'm not just talking about physical health, I'm talking about heart health. There's a lot of kids out here that are absolutely hurting. They're wounded and they don't have anywhere to go. They don't have any place. Kids are not only misplaced, they are displaced. And I think we need to understand that very well. So with that said, hey, hey, pick me. What does that mean? Well, as a child, I remember the pickup games we had, the little basketball games or the little wiffle ball games or even the flag football games we had. We would have team captains. And the captains would get picked because they were the most popular kids. Well, I wasn't one of them. And you're always standing there on that line as they're looking up and down the line, trying to find out who they're going to pick. You've been there. You felt that. You're wanting them to pick you. And when they don't pick you, you get disappointed. And then you hold your hand up. You almost give them that look that says, please pick me. I can help you. I can be a blessing onto your team or your life. But unfortunately, Sometimes you end up getting picked the middle of the pack, sometimes the last third of the pack. And yes, sometimes, even myself, I was picked last. Can you imagine how I felt being picked last? When you're picked last like that, you already have a complex that you don't fit in. There are kids all over our country and all over our world that have their hands up saying, hey, hey, pick me. Won't you pick me, please, because I've got something to offer you. I want you to think about those kids a day. As they're out there, they didn't pick their parents. 
They didn't pick their culture. They didn't pick their upbringing. They didn't pick their town. They didn't pick their skin color. They didn't pick their language. They didn't pick that. In God's providence, I don't know why things turn out the way they turn out. But I know we can't pick our parents. But I know in circumstances within that, there can be blessings that come out. Now, I was fortunate enough to have good parents who raised me in a, in a godly home. Other kids don't have that. But I remind you, and I'll remind you one more time before I uh, sign out today, is that when you think about parents, it is more than just about giving birth. Being a parent does not require giving birth. Being a father or mother does not require being a sperm or egg donor, quite frankly. It means you're an influencer. You have the opportunity to select somebody and be a part of their lives. With that said, I'm going to talk to you about four groups of people regarding the title of our talk. Hey, hey, pick me. Four groups of people, what are they? First of all, how about those kids that get picked? That's the first group. That group, they feel so special. They feel like they got selected out of a group. That's kind of how I felt as a child. I got picked. Whether it was first or last, I got picked. I was in a family. I was on a team, and I was a part. Those kids that get picked, they provide a special opportunity, a special opportunity for the people that they get selected by. But let's talk about those kids, the second group, the kids that don't get picked. That group is still standing in line with her hands up. Can't you hear them crying out? Hey, hey, pick me. They still want to be there. They still want to be a part. Their hands are still up. Their hands have been up since they're one, two, three, five, 10, 12 years old. They're looking for somebody to select them. Those kids are still out there. And again, you don't have to give birth to be a father or a mother. The third group I want to talk about is this. What about adults that actually make a selection and make a pick and get involved? Those adults have an opportunity. They have the greatest opportunity in the world because they can change generation by raising their children. And again, we don't and should not take this for granted. The ability to change a generation is something this world needs right now. It's been said that if you lose a generation, you've lost a generation forever. If you lose one generation, you've lost four generations. We must absolutely take back this generation by taking the opportunity as adults to get involved and lead children in the way they should go. I believe the Bible in Proverbs talks about that. Sometimes we don't think about what it means, but you don't even have to take a child under your roof to lead a child. You can lead by example. You can lead neighborhood kids. You can lead your community kids. You can lead even other families' kids by being a good adult. Let's talk about that fourth group, the parents that don't pick anything. They know they should. They're living this idea of what if, could have, should have mentality. I learned a long time ago, my friends, that I'm not going to live in a would have, should have, could have way. Can't do that. I don't want to have any regrets in life. I want to take every opportunity I can to be the best I can be. And with that said, the parents that don't make a selection, that can be a parent and don't, that can be influential and don't, boy, what an opportunity they missed. We must not be those people. If you're here on this particular you know, conference and you feel like there's been a tug in your heart to get involved, 
guess what? That tug is real. That's that child saying, hey, hey, pick me. And it's really a tug on your heart that you've got to get. You've got to really receive that thing because that tug on your heart is really their heart strings pulling at yours. When I think about this whole idea of children as they go through life, yes, they've got their hands up to say, hey, hey, pick me. But friends, when their hands are up, get this most importantly, their hearts are open. Their hearts are open to change. They want to have someone pour into that heart. And just like me as a young boy, to fill that void that only God can fill. You see, he uses people like you and me. He uses adults like you and me to pour into the lives of other children with life, with hope, with opportunity, with blessing, with this idea of hope that they can have, that that gap, that void is filled. It's filled with something only that God can do through a willing vessel. Those willing vessels out there, all of us, do we have the courage to make that selection? Do we have the courage to make that pick? Because the children all over the world, millions, and millions of children are saying, hey, hey, pick me. And instead of a statement, I think they're asking more like this. Won't you take a chance with me, please? Won't you take an opportunity with me? Won't you let me see if I can fit in and be a part and a contributor to your family? What an amazing opportunity we have. We think that erroneously, once again, that we have to actually physically give birth to a child, influence a child's life. But folks, that is not true. I look at all of the professional athletes out there that have an opportunity to be a father, that have an opportunity to be a mother, that have an opportunity to influence many. The platforms we all have, they mean something. That platform may mean that you influence people from a group. That platform may mean that you influence a child by taking them under your roof. That may be permanently. That may be temporarily. That may be for one week, one day, or one year. But, folks, it's an opportunity because those hands are up. Hey, hey, pick me. And those hearts are open. Won't you hear those hearts cry? Don't you see those hearts open? When you do, you should act. Because to withhold that, not only are they missing a blessing, but folks, you're missing a blessing too. Because you see, when you bring somebody in your fold as an influencer, you find out that really they influence you even more. Those children have more to give than just a home that you think you're giving them. No, no, they have a life to give you. So with that said, the heart's cry of these kids is, hey, hey, pick me. I encourage you with all that I am to respond, to be a part of that, to understand the cause is greater than we can ever imagine. We cannot, must not lose the next generation. Folks, we have one shot at this, one shot alone, because as that clock ticks, time marches on. And the aging process marches on as well. And every day that goes by that we don't act is one day we lost an opportunity. Let us not neglect the opportunities any longer, but let us respond and be willing to select that person 
that's standing on the sideline in a big old line saying, hey, hey, won't you pick me? They need a hug. They need hope. They need their heart filled. And somebody, and it's you, is that person that only God selected to do that. So I encourage you to consider that. God bless you guys. And thank you so much for the opportunity. To speak. There are millions of housewives. Out thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Mark. I have a question. You say you used to break bricks with your hand? Um, yes. Um, the power team. Yeah, many of you might remember this group. They they traveled around the world and it was an evangelistic tool. We used to break bricks with our head and arms and run through two by fours and run through big slabs of ice and rip phone books in half. And yes, you're thinking this now. I know I can still do that. But do I do that? My wife says absolutely not. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, I'm a firm believer. It doesn't um, we go through things for other people, not for ourselves, even when we're growing up. And it's like you went through that for a reason and to help the next person because we are the voice for the voiceless ones. Thank you so much, Dr. Mark, for sharing your story. You're welcome. Thank you guys for having me very much. You're welcome. Our next speaker is Connie Fife. Connie Fife is an entrepreneur, best-selling author, philanthropist, leading business strategist, radio personality, mentor. She has supported thousands of high-performing entrepreneurs for over two decades with her transformational power. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our next speaker, Connie Fife. Thank you, thank you. I'm so happy to be here and to, to share and to follow from Dr. Mark. Following Dr. Mark is going to be a bit, a bit more challenging. Well done. And, and so many things that were well said. But I want to talk about, you know, I'm a big kid now and how growing up is mandatory, but adulting is optional. And I heard that quote as a young girl, actually by the comedian Carol Burnett, who said every person is born you know, to age and someday we die, but how we live our life is associated with our physical, with our mental, with our physio physi physiological, and it changes also along with, with health issues. And so a little bit about, about my backstory. So I grew up with my grandmother. My grandmother raised me and she died shy of my 16th birthday. And before she died, that whole year leading up to her death, there was always this promise that, you know, I was going to get a car and I could quit school and I could do all of these famous and wonderful things and not have to go to school. Well, at that time, my role in the family living with my grandmother was to care for my 13 cousins every day that would show up. They would show up in the morning. My role was to make sure that they had their, their, their breakfast, their meal for the day, take them to and from school, and also serve, you know, take care of their, their parents, uh, work with them after school, make sure they were fed after school, do their homework. And so this way, when their parents would come to, to pick them up, then you know, they can go home and do whatever they did for the night. But my job wasn't done there because I did have a sister and two brothers who were part of those 13 that lived across town. So I would occasionally you know, see mom, drop them off, pick them up, but I never understood why. Why do I live with my grandmother and I don't live, live with my family? So, and all of that, I found out at the age of 48, what the story really was. Although all of those years I searched and researched and did study, study in human behavior, 
um, uh, reincarnation study. I everything that I could do. And I knew I was from Louisville, Kentucky, and I even went to Louisville, Kentucky, looking for adoption papers, because that's where I thought that's where it has to be. And that's where that disconnect was coming from. Well, sure enough, that is what happened. And how I what I had found out at the age of 48 was that my mom was my mom, but dad was not dad. And the grandmother who I was living with was actually not a birth grandmother. She she was my stepdad's mother. And so she was elderly and senior. So they had sent me to, to live with her as my mom and her husband started their, their family, you know, with, with their with their children. So finding that that out and understanding human behavior, it was really a gift for me to fully now understand and embrace what had happened. And during this time, because I focused on my career, I became the CEO for Girl Scouts at Penswoods Council. And at Penswoods Council, a lot of the girls are low income, um, girls that come out of foster care, the foster care system. So I got to know some of them pretty well. I like to go visit, visit with them at Camper at their, at their council meetings. So when I would visit with them, um, you know, they would tell me their stories. And of course, I would ask the questions, what do you want to do in life? What do you want to do with your career? And most of them would say, oh, nothing. Or, you know, the one girl that comes to mind and she said, my, you know, I said, are you going to go to college? What do you want to do? And, and she said, no, my, my family can't afford that. So I'll, I'll, that'll never happen. And, you know, and so I encouraged her again more. What, do you, what is it that you want to do? She wanted to be an editor of a newspaper. And she was in seventh grade at the time. And I said, you know, here's a suggestion. Go back to your school, talk to your counselor, and offer to start a newspaper in your school. And that's what she did. And she actually moved on and she did become an editor at the New York Times. And there were so many stories such as that that reminded me back when my grandmother died before my 16th birthday and I took a full time job. And yet I was still cleaning houses, caring for neighbors, running errands, babysitting, even ironing men's shirts. Because at the time, they were not permanent press. <laughs> that was something I did. Anything I could do to make money so I can live. And at that point, I was pretty much couch surfing, you know, staying with different family members until I did end up back with my mom and dad. And we didn't get along and I was out quickly. So I managed to, to make my way. I even, you know, to go to school... Um, there was no encouragement from the family and it took me 20 years, but I did finish with my MBA. So again, like Dr. Mark said, there's, don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it. I know for me, when somebody says you can't do it, it makes me an even stronger person that I will do it. So a lot of those stories that, you know, continue moving forward. And as I still, you know, was, um, not clear or not understanding why I had this broken relationship with my with my family. And like I said, then later on finding that truth. But that gave me the clarity to go back and say, I know what it is that I need to do. I know the reason that I was put here on this earth. And it wasn't, you know, to to just grow old and right off into the sunset, but it was 
grow old and enjoy the journey. But not just that, but help those kids. And I found, again, going back to those kids out of foster care, that it was, they're not, they don't have the direction. And that's what I felt that I didn't have because people will say to me, oh, were you in foster care? I'm like, no, I wasn't. But I have the experience as if that was happening in my life. And then also to see a lot of these young girls, I knew that that, that had to be the, be the way of the journey that we took. So with that, and you know, the introduction was all about our agency and we work with a lot of celebrities and pro athletes as well. But I actually work with them to become mentors of young adults who are aging out of the foster care system through our Born Life Foundation. And so I was going to share uh, just a little bit quickly here about what the foundation is. I know I have a share screen. And if it's big enough here. So beginning of renewing life. And that's the biggest thing. And again, living in Los Angeles, I see so much, so many kids living on the street, just pulling, pulling at my heart. And I kept asking them, what can I do for them? What can I do for them? And I would go and sit with them and have conversations with them and, you know, and understand their stories and to get to understand their backgrounds and, you know, how did they get here? And, and I started reaching out to social service agencies, you know, how can I help you? How can, how can I serve you? And for a lot of years, we took in exchange students, we, you know, and then we were looking at, okay, do we bring it in the foster care? But because we moved so many times, just, you know, wasn't going to um, be possible, but I, you know, but I wanted to see how we could help. So this is why I started the agency and through those conversations, a lot of it is about beginning over. How do I begin over? How do I have a new life, something that I can look, move forward and look forward to. So that's where we came up with the name born life, you know, born meaning you're born into this life, not by choice, but you're born into this life by circumstance. But how do you renew your life? How are you embraced in your life? How do you be recognized? And again, being able to work with the parents of those that bring in the fosters, but also these young adults that are coming out of the foster care system without any guidance. And how can we help them? So through the, through the agency, you know, we created it where it is a 365 mentoring program that we are bringing to these kids aging out and showing them and giving them the, the direction through the STEAM and STEM program, you know, science, technology, engineering, the arts, and also the math, and showing them that they are the future because they are the future. They're the future of this country. They're the future of, of the world. And unless we're helping them and supporting them and giving them direction, we, we can miss opportunities as a society. And so how do we bring, the, bring these individuals together to create this ecosystem where everybody is helping everybody? Because in the, at the end, we're, we're all connected. You know, going, going back to Adam and Eve, we are all connected somewhere along the way. And, you know, going back to John Lennon, you know, imagine if we could just all get along and how much better the world would be. And this is the whole intent, again, of the Born Life Foundation, 
uh, born life is where you educate your body, your wisdom, your soul, and kindness is the way to become stronger because there isn't, you know, we want this to be a world where, no, where there's no discrimination and only through the creative creativity of life unified will we improve ourselves and we will not harm the innocent nor abuse our traditions, nor abuse ourselves. And that is the whole intent of, of the foundation and the One Life Foundation is being able to give back, to mentor young adults coming out of the foster care system, to give them all of those tools and show them that there is a path forward, you know, without having to live on the streets, without ha having to, you know, do drugs or get pregnant at an early age because we see so much of that. Or, you know, I mean, I can go on about the different social service organizations that we work with, even, you know, those that are the boys for the children, whether in the court system or any other system such as that. But that was the, the whole, the, the, my intent and how, how I saw that I can get back, how we can get back as an organization. So, you know, part of what we do in the agency goes to supporting the organization goes to supporting born life and goes to supporting supporting those young adults again that are aging out of the foster care system. So when we look at we you know we we look at this and there was um, an interview with a 20-year-old girl who, you know, looking at her, she she looked strong. And this is part of some of the interviews that I had done for my personal book. I had interviewed over 50 women. And almost all of them talked about how they were from the you know, the other side of the track or they were in the foster care agency or, you know, there, there was some type of adversity in their life which made them stronger. And today they're CEO of corporations, they're business founders, and they're doing so many incredible things. And that was an eye-opening experience for me as I was doing the interviews. And there was this one gal that was interviewed and she was homeless in New York City putting herself through college. And then after you heard her story, I mean, it it was just tears, tears in your eyes. I mean, I later, you know, brought her in and I worked with her in her agency and get, you know, got her some speaking opera opportunities. But you would think, you know, so you know, what she went through, that she would be angry and, you know, just not wanting to talk talk to society or the world and she you know she spent years and years bouncing from you know from one one foster care to another again or living on the streets with her with her mother um at that at that time and um but she said she that she didn't leave because she thought she was growing up already but she left because no one was helping her and every time i hear i hear somebody say I did this because no one was helping me and it didn't work or I tried it again. That, I mean, that just pulls at your heart because there are so many tools out there. There are so many intelligent adults out there and we are here and part of our God-given gift is to be able to support somebody who has less. And, and, and truly, you know, if we're not doing that, we're really not, Using, using the gifts that we have to, to be giving back. And like I said, with my grandmother raising me and, you know, and taking care of the family and having my role, you know, the care for them, you know, even the care for her, 
long after, you know, they left at night, I still had to care for her. She was very overweight. She was sickly. Um, when they, my bed was in her bedroom. So all during the night, if she got up or ill or had to go to the bathroom, I, I was the one helping her and, and taking care of her. And school wasn't important. You know, a lot of times you know, people come home from school and the parents are like, you know, you better have those A's. I come home from school and I would get, you better not have a good report card because that wasn't important in our family. What was important was survival. And that's what I had learned very at a very early age was survival. And I knew I was an entrepreneur before I even knew what the definition of an entrepreneur was. But that gave me those survival skills. And again, to do all of those other other things that I've done in the family. So, and I had mentioned I did go on um, because it took me a lot of years. I did get married. I had two young children. I took them to my college classes with me. I went part-time and they would go to some of my classes with me. And a lot of the young students got to get to know them and would take them to the park or the library so I could do my studies, my studies in school. So, it, you know, was able to teach my children the responsibility of why education is so important. And I still believe education is really important. And if you want something, that's what you need to go after and just look at it again, whether it's the science, technology, engineering, arts or the math. There are so many opportunities out there. And you know, there's definitely ways that you can get into college. And I just want everyone who is in foster care and say, I don't know where to go next. There are people here to help you. I'm here to help you. And this life is a journey. And you, you're going to grow up, you're going to grow old, but let's have fun doing it. Let's have fun on this journey of life and let's be here to help and support each other doing it. Amen. Thank you, Connie. You are welcome. I have a saying, it doesn't matter where you start, but it's how you finish. And I love that. I think that's encompassed everything that you just told us today. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank Thank you so much for sharing your story. Our next speaker is Heidi Marie Ferrin. She is an actress, vocalist, and writer who originally hailed from Arkansas and Texas. For eight years, she served as service members as Miss USO, performing and speaking across the globe of an ambassador and steward towards gratitude. She has performed and lectured over 1,000 venues, including performances at City Field, Madison Guardian Square, before four U.S. presidents, and Queen of Uganda. As a country, jazz, and gospel recorded artist, Heidi Credits includes performing with Pat LaBelle, Lee Greenwood, and Tony Orlando. Heidi recently concluded a recurring role on ABC's hit comedy, American Housewife, and is preparing to begin her pre-production for a major feature franchise slated for 2022. She has been seen in Gary Marsh's New Year's Eve and playing Wonder Woman on HBO hit TV show, Bored to Death with Ted Dancing. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our next speaker, Heidi Marie Ferry. Hello. Hi. Hello, everybody. Um, thank you so much for being here. I'm fellow advocates and um, Dr. Lakeisha and Rachelene. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Heidi Marie Farron, and um, there are over 391,000 children in the foster care system in America, and I was one of them. Uh, the foster care system, it touches the very essence of compassion and the power of community. So while it's true that the system's faced its fair share of challenges, I have seen firsthand that 
incredible changes that have been made to develop and grow the system and that it remains focused on the well-being of the young person in care. So as a foster youth, my experience wasn't perfect, but I was blessed with some incredible advocates. I had a social worker named Raul who fought for my safety and well-being and truly cared. So now as as I have grown up, I became a volunteer. Uh, a, I'm a court-appointed special advocate, a CASA, and I'm able now to be that change that Raul was for me for other people. CASAs weren't around when I was going through the system, and and to have somebody there from the beginning, uh, from the beginning through the end of that entire process, it I see so much the value of it, and that day of getting sworn in was very emotional. <laughs> but now I'm able to be that change. And it has been so inspiring to witness how far the foster care system has come with programs to support unhoused families staying together, providing support and advocacy programming for young people who are pre-verbal or maybe experiencing developmental delays, and being able to understand how a young person communicates before they actually have the language to advocate for themselves has been transformative. It's a crucial part of how the foster care system and the programs that support young people in the system have made an impact on their overall development, well-being, and their future. So progress in the foster care system starts with recognizing the potential within each and every child. It begins with understanding that the circumstances of a child's birth do not define their future. They didn't define mine. So as we advocate for change, we have to remember that, that progress means continuing to create opportunities for children in foster care to thrive, to discover their strengths, and to dream beyond their circumstances. Programs like we heard about today or and will hear about the Fosterpreneur Born THP Plus, which provides uh, foster youth aging out of care. It helps them find housing, Alliance for Children's Rights. They assist families with resources to help young people in care receive the same education, the same educational support as those not in the foster care system, as well as developmental support for young people experiencing delays. And CASA, which provides court-appointed advocates that stay with the child for their entire journey and mentor and advocate and really help families and young people know about the programs out there because there are many, but often having access and ability to apply to all of them is can be a challenge. So, so it's wonderful that all of these organizations are out there to support the system because there's a lot of moving parts. Um, it takes a village so to give these young people the care that they deserve. And we, as a community beyond the foster care system, have the opportunity to support its services by advocating for policy, challenging stereotypes, continuing to nurture an inclusive and supportive system, which is very, very important as children are developing. We can be the mentors and role models that foster children need to see to believe in their own potential, and we can foster a sense of belonging and show them that they are not alone on this journey, which is something that I struggled with deeply. Progress in the foster care system is not the work of a single individual, but the collective effort of a compassionate society. 
We need foster parents who open their hearts and homes, social workers like Raul, who advocate tirelessly, and policymakers who are committed to creating a great system. And we can achieve remarkable progress together. And being in the system, for me, helped me find my voice at a really early age. I was terrified, as every young person is. And I was desperate to be good and to be perfect, not to make my abuser, my father, angry in mandatory visitations. I, I thought if I didn't make everyone happy that I would never see my mother again. And if my social worker hadn't empowered me to make my desires clear, to share my story and to stand up for myself, I would not be here today. I am confident of that. Not only did I stand up to my abuser, but I testified on a mountain of phone books in a courtroom. <laughs> and I felt like I had support and permission at the age of four to use my voice and it paved my way for reunification with my mother. Uh, Raul, he advocated for me at a time when I felt invisible and powerless. And I have gone on in life to use my voice for the voiceless because I knew from four that my voice had power. And I wanted to use that power to make a difference. So everything from my time and work uh, as Miss USO, it gave me the opportunity to connect and to serve service members on a deeper level. I performing, writing, producing, what, whatever it is, there's not a single thing I do that doesn't start with advocacy. But all of that started with abuse, violence, homelessness. And Connie stated, we, we don't always see the scars, but, but our hearts can be the solution. Our voices, our gifts, and our time can be the world to kids like me who felt totally invisible. And thanks to the support that I received, I know how a single person can be the change for a young person. And as advocates, we have the opportunity to provide young people in the foster care system the resources and empowerment to fulfill their highest potential. And even though my time in the system was a challenging start, it was also a catalyst for my growth and transformation and it taught me resilience, compassion, and the importance of community. So we must believe in the infinite potential that lies within these young souls and empower them to see a future where they can achieve their goals just like any other child. We can support the system and advocate for its continued progress and beyond the foster care system, outside resources and programming, it's you. It is each of us that makes the biggest difference. Each of us have the power, whether in the system or outside of it, to make a profound difference one young person at a time, because it's that kind of care and that kind of support that has made and made all the difference to me. And um, thank you all so much for your time. And um, it's been a blessing to be with you all today. Thank you. Thank you, Heidi. And what a powerful quote. I'm going to repeat that. Circumstances of a child does not define their future. Very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Good question, Heidi. Do you still speak to Raul? Do I do what? You still speak to Raul? The one that has such Oh, yes. Yes, I do. I reconnected with him. I also reconnected with my assistant district attorney who um, I just found randomly and he's very close by and um, I just, I, 
the people I, you know, you can either remember nothing from those periods in life or remember everything. And for me, I remember absolutely everything. So, um, but being able to thank them as an adult has, it was just the most powerful thing. Thank you so much for being transparent and sharing your story. Thank you so much. Our next speaker is Lorda Forbes. Minister Lorda is a prophetic teacher and intercessor and worshiper. She is an unapologetic Jesus chick. I love that. (laughs) Irrevocably free from bondage and delivered from Christ. She has served in lay ministry for more than a decade and a licensed minister for the gospel. Minister Lorda also leads a women ministry. His daughter, based on John 1, 11, 13, which empowers women embodying their kingdom identity. She has served on the ministerial staff of faith communities and has served faithfully in various positions of leadership for more than 20 years, where she coached and developed others. She teaches on workplace productivity and leadership in the marketplace and in ministry. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our next speaker, Lorna Forbes. Good afternoon. Thank you so much. I am so inspired. I feel a little bit emotional, but that's sort of where I am these days. So it's okay. I am so honored to be here and listening to your stories has, um, it's just brought up so much more of the experiences that I went through. Today I'm sharing from the parents' perspective. And um, I just wanna say that in 2009, I felt like the Lord was, tugging at my heart, you know, to Dr. Sherwood's point, he was tugging at my heart to, uh, to provide a place of respite in my home for children who were going through the foster care, you know, system, a place where they could come find some, you know, some peace in the midst of whatever their transition was going to be, whether it was going to be going back home or moving on to another place, but understanding that there was a need for them to have a place where they could just breathe. And, um, I, you know, I was childless and I was in my forties and I thought maybe it was something I ate. So I kept moving. However, uh, you know, it happens in your forties, right? Um, But I, um, I got the tug again uh, a year later. And so my husband and I went through the preparation process um, within our County and, um, and we waited until you know, we, we went through it. It was very long, like they dug into every part of our lives and caused me to also re-examine a lot of uh, my journey, which had involved um, some emotional trauma, healing from grief, um, healing from uh, sexual assault, those type of things. And so I had done my work, my inner work to get to a place of providing peace. And I felt like, okay, well, God was asking me to now provide that peace because, you know, our circumstances don't have to be similar, but they have a common thread of understanding and uh, pain and healing from pain. And I said, yes, Lord, I will provide that for someone else. We um, kind of forgot about it actually, because it took a while. I was at a conference in Florida, minding my business, sitting in a restaurant, 2012, right? Some time had passed and I got a phone call while I was at lunch saying, hey, we have uh, a sibling group. And I had stated that I would take a sibling group because of talking with adults who had come through the foster care system and had told me about the trauma of being separated from their siblings and just how heart-wrenching that was. So we said, yes, we will open up our home to a sibling group. So over the course of a week and a half, I became the parent to two kids. 
<laughs> you know, people get nine months to prepare. I got a week and a half. And so I, um, you know, they were three and seven. And I just wanted to, I felt like there were just a couple points that I, I want to share with you in the time that I have. Um, there were, they, I called Alexa, I'm sorry. Um, I, I checked in with Alexa and I said, hey, how long does it take for boiling water to get back to room temperature? And the answer was, it depends on how long it's been boiling and it depends on the cooling agent. And it was so profound to me. It might seem like, you know, it's really random, but I thought the children who come through the foster care system are at some point in that boiling process. And we as parents are the cooling agent and our consistency, our love, our compassion, our steadiness, our hospitality is what helps them to understand that they can go back to being room temperature. Because a lot of children, whether they are pre-verbal or not, are in survival mode and they are looking for uh, for consistency. They're looking, they feel like you're the enemy until you show them otherwise. And so we had uh, a week and a half to childproof our home. We, you know, we got things together to help them and realize when they came that they were, um, there were four A's that we needed to put in place. And that's what's helped us over the course of the past 11 years of being foster parents and then adoptive parents to, uh, to walk through this living, loving, learning. Not perfect, but I would like to say that in talking with our children now, we, the ones that we have adopted, that we have had a modicum of success. Let me say that, okay? Um, so the first one is that life calls you to participate. And we have been prepared, regardless of what our circumstances are, there is something in your life that can be the ingredient in someone's recipe for success, someone's recipe for love, someone's recipe for change. And so we have to see that we have something to contribute as a potential foster parent. I also wanna say that um, we have to look at an appraisal. That's the first A, there are four A's, right? There's appraisal adjustment, application and attention. The appraisal is the self-inventory. How, what, what has been your journey? How have you come through a place of healing? How will you be able to provide hospitality? How will you be able to provide something that's of strength? And what is your weakness as you reach out to love someone that you are not familiar with? You don't know how they were brought up, but there is trauma in their life that is going to require stability in your life. And so I felt like being in a place of healing was going to provide for our kids. One was three, one was seven that we, um, we ended up adopting. My three-year-old was wearing 24-month-old clothing. He was that small and he was suffering from the failure to thrive. But my preparation was that for the previous decade, I had been working on a dietary lifestyle that allowed for, um, for a different way of eating. And so I was able to provide him with the nutrition and, uh, and, and a lifestyle that paid attention to his numerous allergies and brought him onto a place of healing and health and wholeness. Um, 
uh, making an adjustment was creating an environment in our home where as a woman of faith, we had music playing, we had, um, we, you know, we had quiet time, we had a place where that was absent of a lot of drama so that they could find a place to rest and to have some respite. And my uh, seven-year-old was barking like a dog. She was um, very uncommunicative, very angry, and having a place where she could feel like she was still welcome while still working through what she was and, and coming to a place of trusting us was important. So we made the adjustment. We didn't expect her to be loving. We didn't expect her to be grateful. We expected her to understand that we were giving without expecting in return. Um, application was getting involved, getting involved and being the person who could um, who could go with them uh, to court cases uh, to advocate on their behalf. And again, we were natural advocates. And so it was easy for us to look at them and say, listen, you know, this child needs a certain type of therapy. This child needs a um, you know, they need a certain type of environment, working with the school systems, writing letters, showing up. We can show up and we can be that force and be that person that allows the children to say, someone is here for me. And I don't know, what I do in the workplace is teach workforce productivity. And one of the things that we talk about is Abraham Maslow. He was a, um, a psychologist who worked you know, well, he's passed now, but one of the things that he talked about was the pyramid um, and getting from the lower level all the way up to self-actualization. And one of the places on that pyramid, foundational place is belonging. And don't we all need that? We need to know that we fit somewhere. And so whether someone was going to be there for two weeks or be there for, you know, as it turned out for seven years and then adopted for four years, we wanted to give them a place of belonging where we said, listen, it is okay. You, you come out of your shell. You grow as you need to grow. Was it easy? No. Was it disruptive? Very. But were we there for the long haul? Yes. And we thought about the children's future. That's what kept me um, a, a, accountable. It kept me accountable to God and it kept me accountable to the children because I thought, what will your interaction with my life cause you to think about in your future? And what, the reason I said we had a modicum of success is that I can talk to our 18 year old now who is understanding of where she started but because of her interaction with our lives, understands that she does not have to stay where she started. She now has hope and a future. And isn't that what God says that his thoughts toward us are, right? He gives us hope and a future. So my three-year-old is now 14. He is wearing adult male clothing. He is taller than I am. He's grown out of some of his allergies. He understands about praying and believing God for his healing as well. Um, he is not taking the medication that he was taking many years ago because we have incorporated a holistic lifestyle for him where he, he is eating, probably eating too much <laughs> and probably talking too much because he was also fairly nonverbal. He was diagnosed with a developmental delay and now you would never know it. 
uh, he's trying to pick me up. <laughs> That's another story. But attention is the last A that I'll leave with you, where self-care as a person who is providing care, I found out about secondary PTSD. I found out about compassion fatigue. When you are in a place of providing care at such a level for people who have been in traumatic situations, it can affect your mental health and well-being. And so it's important. We had to realize that in loving them, we also had to love ourselves. We had to find out what their particular maybe um, co-indications were that we were able to get them medications for diagnoses, ADHD, borderline personality disorder. There were different things that we had to get involved and to pay attention to them. We had to pay attention to uh, environments that were triggering to them so that we could provide a, a, a blanket around them, a wrap around, and keep them from being in a uh, triggering situations. So, um, it is, uh, I, I want to say that um, tugs on your heart are whispers from God. And that when we pay attention, because life is very loud, but when we settle down and when we listen, I believe that God shows us where we can contribute to the betterment and make a difference that matters. Thank you so much. I don't know if it's been 10 minutes or not, but that's what I have to share. And I hope that it has helped someone. It helps someone who is thinking about becoming a foster parent and that um, I appreciate your allowing me to contribute today. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Forbes. I, I appreciate you. And we do have some comments that came in in the chat. It says, Heidi Marie, thank you for sharing your story. One of our programs for our volunteers is Be the Voice for the Voiceless. It also says, uh, God gives us hope in a future, Ms. Forbes. You just shared that. And also, tugs on your heart are whispers from God. Thank you. Absolutely. I like those four A's, uh, Minister. Appraisal, which is self-inventory. Adjustment, create an environment. Application, getting involved. And attention, self-care. Yes. I think all of us can apply that in our lives right now. So much going on. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And thank you for all you're doing for your children. Because I know that love that you and your husband gave them is a pure reflection of who they are right now and who they are going to become when they get older. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Our next speaker is Trina Payne. Trina, I don't have an, a bio for you. Can you tell us who you are? And then you can go at it. Yes, I can. Thank you so much. I'm having a little computer moment. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Gigi Savitt, for um, inviting me. Thank you for Loida for uh, mentioning, you know, that um, I may be someone that would be a good fit for tonight for this summit conference. Um, I'm excited. I just first want to say before I share um, my experience and um, what I've been doing, I'm excited and inspired by everything that you all have talked about so far. I'm full of um, as Lord, I mentioned emotion. I'm just, um, just really want to just cry. You know, I'm just uh, the things that you all have shared, um, being willing to put it out there to the world is just amazing. Um, my name is Trina Payne, and I have been working in the child welfare uh, system. Um, won't say foster care, but the whole gamut of uh, child welfare since 2001. 
And um, I'm just super excited to be able to come tonight and talk about father engagement. Um, and um, I've had an opportunity to be able to work with uh, nonprofit organizations that provide foster care to children, whether it's foster homes, independent living programs, and also uh, group homes. Um, so just the whole gamut of foster care um, that we provide the residential care settings. Um, and just was passionate during that time when I worked uh, with, with the agencies, um, mainly because I wanted to make sure that um, our children were being taken care of and, um, you know, that they had everything that they needed. And so um, that's always been my mission to make sure that the kids that are in care are taken care of and um, to be a voice for them whenever things might come up. Um, I always had the opportunity to be able to advocate uh, for them on behalf of the foster parents and, um, you know, to make sure that things are okay. And so um, I wanted to share about father engagement tonight. This has definitely been an issue that is a historical issue. Um, I'm not sure exactly, um, you know, how long it has been an issue, but I do know that on a national level, uh, father engagement, we call it father engagement in child welfare, but just um, the issue around being able to uh, really have true engagement, really be able to involve the father, the biological father um, of the children in foster care um, has, is something that is uh, being worked on on a local and national level at this time. And I just wanted to be able to put out kudos and, and be able to promote that and share a little bit more about that tonight. Um, it's the voice of the father. So I heard about tonight about the voice um, from a couple of the speakers being able to be heard and the importance of being able to be heard as a foster parent, being able to be heard as a, a child that was in foster care. Um, and the importance of that, that, that voice is so important. Um, and so we definitely want to make sure that we promote the voice of the father as well. Um, the father, the biological father that... Um, is for different reasons may not be involved. Um, and sometimes the father may not be involved because uh, we may just need to do a search for the father uh, to get him on board. He may be uh, not involved physically because he may be incarcerated, um, but that doesn't mean he can't have a voice. He still can have a voice in his child's life. And we always want to just promote and advocate for that voice of the father. Um, there's so many different reasons why the father may uh, not be involved. And I wanna just stop right there and just share, even on a personal level, um, I, I know that myself because I didn't actually meet my biological father until October, 2021, <laughs> October 1st, in fact, 2021. <laughs> and um, when I, the first time I talked to my father, <laughs> I could have just dropped, literally. <laughs> I was full of emotion. He was full of emotion. <laughs> And it took us quite some time to get through that emotional stage of, um, of connecting and um, learning about each other. And so here I am working in the foster care system and seeing um, the impact of children not having their fathers be a part of their lives and being a grown woman and never having met her own father um, and ex literally walking around experiencing um, 
that um, that pain, that wound, you know, of um, it's almost as if you're walking through life and you only know half of who you are because um, you know your mother, all your family. And I have a, um, plenty of relatives on the maternal side, but literally there's a blank slate on the father's side. And it was just the weirdest thing. But once I had a chance to connect with him, um, I actually had a chance to see, um, wow, I had really been missing out on a lot um, in terms of being able to connect. And so um, that's why I'm just really passionate about making sure that we have fathers involved. Um, I did discover that it wasn't that my father didn't want to be involved with me, which sometimes, you know, we have fathers that just for whatever reasons, um, they're not in a position uh, to be involved in their children's lives. It was because he simply couldn't locate us. And so for whatever reasons, that's why I say it could be any reason, um, you know, why the fa while, um, fathers are not involved in the children's lives, but uh, we find that out by actually finding them um, and doing all that we can. Um, and one good thing in the foster care system is that uh, if a child has been in foster care for some time, over time they've collected um, you know, information about family members and they've co connected, um, there might be some identifying information. But the good thing is that we may be able to do diligent searches or find them through case mining, uh, where we go through the files. You'd be surprised the type of things you can find when you actually go and dig deep. You may be able to find um, someone with a name or an address or what have you that can link you to the next um, connection and find the father. Um, there's been so many times when uh, fathers that are incarcerated um, are so thrilled when they can get that connection with their child, you know, to be able to say, I may be behind um, bars at the time, you know, they can't really physically connect with the child, but they can still receive letters from the child. They can still um, be part of the case, um, the case involvement. They can still um, be even at the court hearing. I mean, the, the, gam the opportunities are endless as far as how fathers can actually be involved um, uh, once the connection is made in the foster care system. And um, it's just a beautiful thing when the fathers can be able to communicate and um, express their voices about different things. And so um, some of the potential barriers to father engagement um, are, um, it could be difficulty identifying or locating them. As I mentioned, um, we know that there could be some, as I've also talked about, that just simply aren't interested. Um, but also we may need to establish paternity for them just to make sure that they are the biological father uh, and get them involved. Um, also wanted to just mention um, some overcoming challenges to engagement. Uh, which is just, we have to go the extra mile. So if we know someone who is in foster care um, and we may know that family, you know, we can communicate and somehow get that information out there to be able to get that father involved. Um, that's so important. We also wanna make sure that we get additional information about where their whereabouts are in any kind of way, any type of um, information that we have is just extremely important in order to do that. Visitation, uh, a lot of times children, um, they don't always get a chance to visit their um, their biological fathers for whatever reasons when they're in foster care. And so if there's, um, if there are people that are 
um, involved or can be involved. Sometimes family members can be designated people who can provide supervised visitation for them, um, in addition to you know, what the social service agencies are doing, uh, but can help in that process, provide a home where the supervision can take place or provide places out in the community so that we can be as flexible as possible because we know that just like mothers, fathers work also, and there may need to be a certain level of flexibility beyond nine to five um, shifts, you know, in order to make sure that fathers can be able to see their children, um, as well as, of course, on weekends, but whatever it is, whatever those challenges are, if we look far and, um, you know, we, we can find a solution, we can definitely find solutions and we have found solutions in order for fathers to be involved uh, with their children. There's also um, services that are available that haven't always been available for fathers, such as um, fatherhood uh, support groups where fathers can come together with other um, fathers and they can discuss what the issues are, what the, maybe some challenges they have and come up with solutions, um, but getting that support for a father is extremely important so that he can be able to identify uh, with someone that's going through that same type of situation or can just give him some support um, as well is so important. And then um, just remember missing fathers can uh, result in children being traumatized due to the separation they experience from not having a relationship with their father. Uh, so, you know, of course we don't want children to be traumatized, but unfortunately, when they come into the foster care system, um, you know, they do experience separation, grief and loss because they're not connected or they're not connected as they um, was when they were living in the home. And so we want to make sure that we can provide some level of counseling and support to be able to um, help the child and help uh, the father. And some benefits of father engagement are for boys, father engagement can reduce the frequency of behavioral problems. Um, for example, uh, even for girls, father engagement can reduce psychological problems, um, can reduce depression. There's a level of depression that children um, sometimes have experienced because they are, you know, connect, not connecting with their mother or they're not connecting with their father. And so, um, you know, they need support, they need counseling. And we have so many people that can be such a, um, a beacon of light for them. Um, the foster parents can be a beacon of light. They can support in ways um, when appropriate. Uh, but so many people can help out and be able to um, really provide the support that they need as, as children so that they can have the best experience um, as possible. And so um, I don't know where my time is, but that's pretty much what I wanted to share. I just wanted to put out um, a shout out to the fathers that, um, you know, have children in foster care and, um, you know, just tied to this experience that I had um, myself just going, growing and going through life uh, without a father. So thank you for opportunity. And I hope that someone heard that. I hope that someone can benefit in some way uh, from the information that I shared. Thank you, Trina. And thank you for sharing your story about connecting with your father as well. Now, what message do you have for someone who is ready to give up because they have not met their biological father yet? Don't give up. <laughs> Don't give up. Um, definitely. I know personally, I've, I went through times where distractions, you know, regular life 
um, situations come up. And so um, I would say, oh, I don't have time to find my father anymore. <laughs> that might sound crazy, but, uh, you know, life came up and then I put that to the side, but still that that same feeling, that same wound, still walking with it. So I would just encourage them not to give up, to be able to communicate with other people and get the support they, they need. Um, definitely prayer, uh, seeking God was a huge piece for me. Um, and the amazing thing that I, I um, didn't mention is that, um, so I met my father in October of 2021, but I mentioned that wound that I had been walking around with. I was actually, um, I went to a conference and had a spiritual encounter with God and um, healed. I was literally healed from that pain and from that wound based on information that was shared to me um, in that conference, it was a women's conference. And literally from that day, that was in 2017, I do believe. And from that day until the day I met my father up until now, I have actually not experienced that pain, that wound. Um, and so I was actually healed at the time that I met my father, which was like simply amazing because you know, I met him on a different level than the pain and the where were you and all of that. And I didn't um, charge him to that. And it was just amazing. So don't give up. Amen. Thank you, Trina. Amen, Trina. Thank you so much for sharing the perspective of the father involvement. I think that's very important in any family. Thank you so much for sharing. Our next speaker is Jacob Jennings. He is a survivor of youth homelessness. He uses real estate as a vehicle for social reform to change the conversation surrounding housing and security. Using his lived experience, Jacob supports real estate professionals by showing them how to help their communities and create a lasting impact. Jason began public speaking at an investor conference in 2017, inspiring new experienced investors alike. His entertaining approach encouraged event participants to network in order to scale the businesses. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our next speaker, Jacob Jennings. Hello, everyone. How are you doing tonight? Fantastic. Thank you. Don't just sit there and make me be all the entertainment. We are going to have a little bit more fun to make this all exciting. Ladies, you are quite inspirational. And one gentleman, thank you for coming and speaking. Um, I want to say thank you for including me this evening. I am excited to be here. Um, I was not a foster youth, but I was a homeless youth. So what we're going to speak about today is hopefully going to encourage some of the children that might need some inside as well as what we can do as adults to make it a little better. So can everyone see my screen? Yes, sir. Let's see if I get this right. I can never seem to make sure I get the sound. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, I'm the founder of the Sherlock's Homes Foundation. We are a 501c3 dedicated to ending housing insecurity for all vulnerable populations. And we started off with youth aging out of foster care and kids that were kicked out for coming out. So I have a little video, let's watch. As you can see, the more, the, the more communities you're a part of that are marginalized, the more risk you are at being put behind in so many areas of life, whether it is employment, 
stigma, housing, and when you are LGBTQ and member of the foster community, you have even more things stacked against you. But as we know, the harder you have to climb, the better your legs look in a pair of shorts. So go ahead and hike on your boots and start climbing together, shall we? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, who are we, the Sherlock's Homes Foundation? We are a movement. We believe that we can overcome so many uh, issues of inequality by providing housing. Because if you don't have a home, how are you going to stand tall? It is so hard to find employment when you have no home. It is so hard to find a community that accepts you. And the more stigmatized you are, the more isolated you become. And we want to create communities where we can respect each other. And within each community, there seems to be a pecking order, no matter where you are. If you are, um, let's, be, let's be honest, if you're cisgendered and white in America, you're golden, right? Everyone else is after that. And that does not mean it's fair. But it also doesn't mean that anyone else is better than you. So anyone who's listening who is a foster care kid, I want to say congratulations. You're not alone and you are loved. What we want to do is give you guys the ability to see that you are more than your situation. Your identity is not determined based on the things that have happened outside of your control. And the things that are in your control are going to help you become the person that you are destined to be. That's what we believe here at the Sherlock Holmes Foundation. And I think that would be parroted through every person on this panel. Am I right? Ladies, am I right? Okay, thank you, Ms. Forbes. I thank you for the thumbs up. I appreciate yes. it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, uh, a little bit about me, just so you understand. I'm not going to go on too much about me, but I am a professional real estate investor, educator, uh, ballroom dance instructor, MC, and I... Um, Emma, I have a lot that I have around me, but this is the image, the face I put forward to the world. We all have one. We all have a facade that allows us to protect ourselves when we are communicating with strangers and to procure business and gain credibility. I'm going to take off my mask for a moment. I was homeless for the first time at the age of 16. My parents kicked me out because my lifestyle did not match our religious beliefs. What I now know over time is it was a lack of understanding and it was a fear that my parents held that they reflected onto their child. I lived out of my car when I graduated high school and I uh, did not know that I was homeless because from time to time, I would be able to sleep on my friend's parents' couches. That to me meant I had a home to go to even though I didn't have an address. I felt safe with strangers. Fortunately, I was in an area where being safe with strangers was possible. And that's not always the case. Very rarely is it the case for so many of the people that we're serving. I did find a way to get on my feet. I was able to go to college because I'd already gotten a scholarship before my parents kicked me out. And when the school found out about my situation, they helped me a little further. I had to work four jobs while going through college, but I was able to go to college to make it all happen. Um, I, I didn't find a place to live until I started dating a college professor of mine. I'm saying this because as I grew older, the harder I tried not to be a statistic, the more I realized I was becoming one. I wanted to do better for myself. So I did 
pursue my dance career. At the time, I became a professional dancer. I pursued that career from Virginia to Chicago, from Chicago down to Florida, and then things also continued to fall apart. As we all know, life is going to life you, no matter who you are, where you are, where you're living. So my boss committed suicide, left me without a job again, had to start over, got a job at a great company teaching real estate investment. Guess what? They laid everybody off, had to start over. My partner left me. Guess what? Had to start over. Life kept lifing me. But the thing I learned from being a homeless youth is you don't let it stop you. You do get a bit of street savvy when you're having to find out where your next meal is coming from repeatedly. And because I kept trying to do better, I was able to do better. You see, if there are any foster kids that are watching this, I want you to realize that life is going to life you. Being optimistic is a choice. And you can choose to life back better. Your situation is not your identity. And an identity is something that is cultivated over your entire lifetime. Don't let where you are right now define where you are going to end up. Now, I started my nonprofit in 2020, in January 2020, and I wanted to help these individuals that I could relate to 20 years later. I knew that I was called to do this when I was 16, sitting in my car that my mother had just put all my belongings in as she peeled away and I was no longer allowed to go home. And I realized that day was the hardest and best day of my life. I lost my family and I knew that one day I was gonna figure this out so I could teach other kids who were in this situation how to get out of it faster than I did. I had no resources. I didn't know where to look. The internet wasn't really on phones at that time because all we had were the razor. And if you don't know what the razor is, well, congratulations, you're no longer a zenial. But if you remember your flip phone, thank you, Miss Forbes, I thank you. And thank you, Gigi. Thank you for laughing at my jokes. Yes, a razor is not just for your face. Well, not in 2002, at least. So I had no resource. I didn't know where to look. And I was only 16. So I just figured it out. So I wanted to do better. I started the Sherlock Holmes Foundation, and it's been amazing ever since. Instantly. I found people to live in my home. It was scary how fast it was. There was such a demand to help LGBTQ youth who were homeless or kicked out for coming out or aging out of foster care. I had my doors filled in a matter of weeks. And then days after that, COVID hit and they were all living with me and we were grounded together. I don't know how I survived except for the grace of God, but we are here today. I was never a parent. I didn't know what I was doing and I couldn't leave my house to go ask for help. I had no donor base and I had no clue what I was doing. I have to admit, I dye my hair now because I have gone gray and we understand why. Don't worry, it looks good on me. So more than 20,000 young adults involuntarily leave the foster care system without the stability of a family. When they age out without a family or support, they instantly become homeless. Only one in two youth who age out will have some form of gainful employment by the age of 24. That is 50%. And less than 3% of them will actually get a college degree at any point in their life. Almost 80% 
of inmates that are incarcerated. I didn't mean to duplicate the slide, I apologize. Almost 80% of inmates that are incarcerated have spent time in the foster care system. And 40% of aged out foster youth report to be members of the LGBTQIA community. I say this because we are, these kids predominantly are not Caucasian. And within their own communities, they're ostracized even further. These kids bleed. These kids cry. These kids are just as beautiful. And they are still looked down upon like they are scum on the bottom of their shoes. This is why we try to help these kids the most. And what we have found in our organization is that these kids also have incredible mental health neglect. And it is something that is being overlooked, yet weaponized against them, so that in comparison to their cisgendered counterparts, their mental health looks so much worse. Meanwhile, we know any of our friends who could be cisgendered and just like us, we have several that also have mental health issues. So weaponizing mental health against these people who are already marginalized just makes them more victimized. And it is unfair that we continue to let this happen and claim that just because this child grows up and they are identify as LGBTQIA, that their mental health is the cause of it. Who cares? There is plenty more that needs to help. They need homes, they need family, they need support, they need compassion, and I don't need to understand something to be compassionate. Oh, I'm gonna get worked up, one second. Jesus, hold my tongue. Mm. Thank you, I'm, I'm good now. In our organization, we provide housing employment opportunities, and a loving support system for LGBTQ and young adults experiencing homelessness so they can live fearlessly as their authentic selves. Within one of our homes, these, home, these young adults learn responsibility, accountability, financial independence, life skills, but most of all, how to love themselves. You see, homelessness is not something that people just think of as a panhandler on the side of the road. Invisible homelessness is where you have friends sleeping on couches until they're kicked out and have to find another couch to sleep on. Where they go and they rent a room in a hotel for four nights until they run out of money because their disability check doesn't cover it or their social security doesn't cover it. And then they have to go and wait until they get another check and go back to a hotel. There are people who have lived very happy lives that had one traumatizing event. They end up homeless because they didn't have the financial stability to handle that traumatic life experience. It's happening all, we all know someone who's experienced these things if we have not experienced it ourselves. And there are communities that are more vulnerable to it than others. But the thing that's hard is more people are becoming susceptible today as our wealth gap increases, as people invest in communities and gentrify them and don't leave a place for the people in those communities a place to go where they don't think about the communities that they are disrupting. And they look down on them as if their lifestyle is not good enough because it's not their own lifestyle. Something that bothers me, and this is what I have been telling my organization, we will never truly address homelessness until we acknowledge the relationship each individual person has with the concept of home. If you come from a home that has been abusive, 
neglectful, hateful, unstable. If you don't know if your power is going to be on from minute to minute, or if you're going to have food in the fridge when you get there, how do you know how to create one? If you haven't experienced this, how can you create it? And if you don't feel safe at home, why would you want to go home? If it's not a place of sanctuary and tranquility, a place where you can feel love, why would you want a home? You know, most of the kids that we have served that have come to our doors, like Jorge, he was wonderful. He was living behind a dumpster for seven months before he found us. Um, and when he came to the United States from Puerto Rico, he didn't speak English. He came to find his mother and his mother was a prostitute. She brought him in only because her boyfriend, who was a drug dealer, took him in and loved Jorge and did his best by Jorge, he really did. He showed Jorge how to survive on the streets, which was by doing what he did, selling drugs. When he went to prison, Jorge lost the only male figure in his life that was stable and his mother didn't want anything to do with him. Hence why he lived on the streets behind a dumpster. And when he showed up at my doorstep during COVID, all he had were the ratty black clothes on his body, nothing else. That's when I realized that this poor kid, who was also autistic, needed a lot more help than I could give him. But we did our best. There's a happy story to that. I wasn't planning on sharing it, but his picture's coming up in a minute. Um, we found his sister. I didn't know he had a sister until, <laughs> until one day he just mentioned in passing. I said, does she know that you're here? He's like, I haven't talked to her in years. Why not? I don't know. I forgot to call her. You have her phone number? Keep in mind, I'm saying this in a funny way, but he honestly didn't have the mental wherewithal to remember this because of where he was in the spectrum. I, I, I started laughing and crying at the same time, not knowing what to do. And I had him call his sister right in front of us. You would not believe how much his Latina sister cursed him out and was crying on the phone. I didn't even know what she was saying. No idea. And I just heard on the phone, but you could tell she was relieved because she thought he was dead. She was hearing the voice from the grave and she didn't realize that her husband, that her brother was alive. Six days later, she came to our house with her new baby and her husband, picked him up and brought him home. So now he is still living with his family, reunited and secure. Now they're in Pennsylvania, go figure. But that's one of my happier stories. I'm really proud of that. Anyway, I'd share that with y'all. Jorge did not know how to create a home. He never had a safe home. He was with us during a very challenging time and he learned some skills that he's still using today. And that's changed his entire family. Now, I'm so glad that Ms. Forbes actually brought up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This is the thing I want everyone to take note of here because when you are looking to help serve, you usually only reach down the rung below you. But if you're going to actually do this, you have to come down your rung. You can't expect people to climb to you. You see, when you're climbing up those rocks, getting your legs to look better and better in those booty shorts, these people still haven't developed the muscles. So you can come back down and climb back up with them, okay? You see, if you don't have a home, if you don't have food, water, shelter, you don't know where you're gonna sleep, you don't have clothing to keep you warm, you don't feel safe, you don't care about college. 
Your calories are spent trying to find a place to sleep that night. You don't care about your resume. You don't care about learning a language. You don't care about entrepreneurship. You don't care. You can't care because your basic needs aren't met. But then we judge them for when they're not ready. We judge people for not going out for a job or working hard enough. We judge them because they don't know what they're going to eat next, but clearly there's something wrong with them because they can't actually find a job. That is from someone, that is from an entitled person who's never had to fill out a job application to realize you have to have an address to get employed. And we all have entitlement of some sort. I am very aware of mine. And I do my best to help others because of it. And I am honored, blessed, and humbled to do so, just as everyone on this panel is doing. So thank you for including me for that. But I want everyone to realize that we have to acknowledge each human being has to go through this pyramid to build a foundation to grow. And if the people that you are serving do not have a home, if they've never actually learned what a safe home is, they are never going to be stable. No matter how much you try, because the next time life lifes them, they're going to get knocked back down to their least stable foundation. We have to reinforce our least stable foundations so that we don't fall to the bottom. Ask me how I know. Well, I've been homeless more than four times as an adult. And it wasn't until I addressed this myself that I was able to find housing and security. Once we actually have our physiological needs met, then we can lock our door and we can have clothes that aren't stolen. We can have toothbrushes and toothpaste and know where they're gonna be the next day. Then we actually start to build self-esteem and belong somewhere. Those are amazing. And then we have self-actualization where we realize that we can be more and we want to be more. It does not go out of order. You cannot skip steps. So if you're looking to become a foster parent, as I am, you need to make sure you meet these kids where they are, realize they're going to come into your home, and you need to get them their physiological needs met first. Gain their trust, gain their love. That will come when they feel safe. Physiological safety. Then they love you. Then they have a seam then they'll start to succeed. And I bet you've reflect on any part of your life where you have felt secure and successful, you'd realize that these steps were in line and the dominoes fell in that order. A home process. Since home is individual to how we project what home is on a house, what home is to a family, we need to actually come up with a home process. So home, helps them heal, helps them have opportunities, makes a difference, and helps them enter independence. You see, sanctuary is important. I always think of Quasimodo when uh, Eliza claims sanctuary, when she gets to the church, if you ever watched, has everybody seen Quasimodo like years ago? It was a really bad Disney film, but it was actually still great. Didn't that one? Okay, well, sanctuary. I've always thought that word sanctuary. Every home, if it's a real home, the number one rule in our homes is it must you must contribute to the peace and tranquility of the home. People are healing at home. It's not at a converted school or 
commercial complex that they actually put showers in. That is not what heals people. People heal in a home and homes are designed to feel safe. We must meet their immediate needs, let them rest, give them food, clothes, shelter, and medical care. Then once they have those things and they feel that they're not gonna go anywhere, that just maybe I'll take a chance knowing that I can come back here tomorrow and next week and maybe next month. Well, now I'm going to invest myself into this home and there are gonna be opportunities. We actually provide opportunities with other programs. It's much more collaborative in this part of the world. Not, not only do our nonprofits more collaborative if they're given the right incentives, but human beings are more collaborative when they want to give back and do good. They want to help each other. They want to be good neighbors. We are social creatures by design. So they, people want to mentor and give back and care. So something that most people may not know, opportunities might come from your least expected places. For example, in the state of Florida, where I live, where diversity, equity, and inclusion are considered swear words nowadays, we actually have programs for kids that are homeless or have aged out of foster care to where if they're living in a transitional home that is not a rehab, they can get their college experience for free. Now, I think we would all agree that education is essential to breaking ties and generational bondage, right? It, education is essential, but if we go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs over here, where do they actually care about education? It's at the top. So when we provide the home, we have to walk them through and be patient so that when you offer them the education, they're not frightened of it. Why, I remember when I went to college, I was living out of my car. I honestly went going, uh, I'm supposed to go to this. I don't know how long I'll be here. It's just gonna be a matter of time before I have to drop out because I'm going to go back to work at Chick-fil-A. And I was in college, but I didn't have the other basis behind me. That's not, that's not healthy. I went to school not knowing what I was doing, what to do, and I had to figure it out. It, it was stressful and it was scary because I didn't know how to use the resources. So when you're looking at programs, please identify where those programs rest in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You must identify where you're serving and where those people can be served at what point of their journey. It's not your journey, it's their journey. Meet them where they are. Now, after we meet that, well, this is part of it. Make a difference. We meet them where they are by creating a plan to help them achieve their goals, provide the tools that they need, and create a sustainable future. If that means they have to learn how to open a checking account, you help them open a checking account. If it means you have to show them how to chew with their mouth closed, you teach them how to chew with their mouth closed. That's actually where we had to start. They didn't have enough respect for themselves to learn how to respect others. So you have to start with them there. And it is a very humbling experience, especially when they're over 18 living with you and you have to actually somehow parent them as adults. It's very hard. It is the most rewarding thing. Just ask Jorge. Once you make a plan, you must support them to execute the plan. They're not going to understand what, how every little win is the cornerstone that they build off of. Celebrate with them. Celebrate when they open their banking account. 
celebrate when they actually get their job, celebrate when they actually pay their cell phone bill for the first time and pay it every month on time, celebrate when they actually learn what a credit score is or when they ask you what is a credit card, celebrate the little things that create sustainability that show them how to adult 101. Give them the victories and celebrate them because no one else has ever celebrated them and they deserve it. Be their cheerleader. And once you have enough of these milestones in place, they can enter a stable independence. But you have to give them training meals. We're not birds. As much as people say, it's time to leave the nest, let them fly, guess what? These nests that these individuals are on are coming out of airplanes and they don't have wings. So if you throw them out, they're gonna go splat. Give them a plan and support them through it. When these kids age out of foster care, they're so often, the ones that we have served, they didn't know that they had options afterwards. They had nothing to look forward to. They're in high school because someone was getting a check to keep them in high school. And the minute they turn 18, that check stops coming and they're on their own. They never, and they knew that day was coming. So they didn't give a damn about doing well in high school. They didn't care about going. What's the point? I'm not gonna get into college anyway. But as we now know, since I share this with you, at least in Florida, they actually do have options that aren't being shared with them. So if you are going to foster a child, or if you are a foster parent, please find out what programs are available to them after they leave your care and talk to them about actually putting them into place. Give them a plan. They deserve that. They deserve that. Now, in our homes and hopefully in yours, again, we have housing. Housing is first. We provide financial education, one-on-one -on -one mentoring with one-on-one -on -one financial, and they actually help them learn how to do everything from open a bank account to eventually becoming a homeowner over the course of a three-year program. We help them with employment support, how to find jobs, how to write a resume, how to dress for an interview, give them life skills, everything from learning how to chew with their mouth closed to how to do laundry peer support, get involved with other people who have been in the foster care system and have come out of it successfully, which is subjective. I will look at success as someone who chooses to be optimistic despite their upbringing. And be a community advocate. Show them who to contact and stand beside them after they leave your home. Be a family. Be more than a family. Be a parent. Now, I wanna end in closing with one final video for any of those youth who might need or feel this way. You're disgusting. I can't even look at you. Get out of my house. God didn't make you gay. Don't you ever come around here again. How could anyone love you? You're no longer my child, you're dead to me. No child of mine is gonna behave that way. You're an embarrassment. It's just a phase. What's wrong with you? Why can't you just be normal? I don't want you here if you're going to act like that. We're so proud of you. We admire you for standing up for yourself. You deserve to be loved. You're beautiful just the way you are. You make this house feel like home. You matter. Remember who you are, who you're meant to be. You don't have to change at all. We're here for you. Do you want to talk? You're worthy of respect. You belong here. You belong here. You belong here.
thank you all so very, very much. Thank you, Jacob. And, and your point truly matters. And your point in regards to everyone deserves a home truly matters. Thank you for sharing that today. And also, too, thank you for sharing your story in regards to you being homeless. And Heidi Marie, for in, she also has a, a story about being homeless as well. So two of our panelists tonight. And thank you again for, for sharing your point in regards to everyone deserving a home as it relates to foster care or foster children as well. And, and when we talk about some of the comments that came in, we have um, Connie, she says here, Jacob's story is so much about our foundation, which is the Born Life Foundation. And then also you said, your situation is not your identity, Jacob. Very powerful. Thank you for sharing that today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jacob. You are, um, your personality is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and transparent. So before we introduce the last speaker, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors. Raganae Sneka, she is the founder of World Women's Conference and Awards, Women Entrepreneurs TV, Changemakers Coach and Public Speaker. Michael D. Butler, he is the CEO of Beyond Publishing, book publisher, global speaker, and media coach. Danielle Gomez is a keynote speaker, corporate trainer, executive coach, confidential architect, and author. Melanie H., she is the founder of Everyday Leaders, professional coaching and consulting, and she's also a certified John Maxwell Team Leadership Coach. And me, Dr. Lakeisha, I am an event planner, set designer, mentor, author, and all of that great stuff. And also, um, after our speaker, we'll have closing remarks for our visionary Gigi Sabat, and then I'll close in prayer. Our next speaker is Erica Mayers. She is the CEO and founder of Fosterpreneurs. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our last speaker, Erica Myers. Uh, thank you for the introduction. And I'm assuming everyone is on Eastern Standard Time right now. So I'm going to say good evening from Baltimore. Um, I am honored that I was extended the invitation to be here. And what I'll do, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself and I'm going to tell you about fosterpreneur. So um, what's my connection to the foster care world and youth aging out of foster care? When people hear the term that I created fosterpreneur, people assume that I'm someone who had the lived experience of being in foster care, but I'm always quick to correct them to say that I'm an advocate. And the reason why I do that so quickly is because I have so much respect for young people, young adults, adults who've lived through, had the lived experience of being in foster care, that I want to make sure their stories are honored. And it's not just assumed that you only care about this issue if you have had the experience with being in the foster care system. Um, so I'm from the Baltimore area, and I grew up not even exposed to foster care at all. Um, I went to private school growing up. I knew about foster youth. I knew about foster care, but I didn't have anyone in my family that foster. Um, and it's just kind of funny how like life goes, um, how your journey takes you to places that you don't expect to be. So I was a psychology major in college, and I knew I always wanted to do some type of counseling, clinical therapy to really support children. And that ended, I ended up getting my master's degree from the University of Miami in community and social change. And I moved to Miami. I lived there for three years. And through my experience at University of Miami, I was matched up with an incredible organization called Casa Valentina. And Casa Valentina in Miami-Dade County supports young people who've aged out the foster care system and those who have been homeless with subsidized housing, life skills, training, and development. And 
just from what I've heard throughout the time that I've been on the call, I've heard so, I've heard so much conviction among everybody who's been on the call. And I'm sure you guys can resonate with the whole notion of when you feel like something is bigger than yourself and that you've been called to do something. And that's how I felt at Casa Valentina. I never felt a sense of purpose as I felt doing the work while I was there. And I knew that this was something that was like going to stay with me lifelong. I didn't know how it's going to evolve. Um, worked with two incredible organizations, which led me um, in the Miami-Dade area. And then I wanted to do something more transformative because I felt like I wasn't doing enough supporting young people who had been in foster care. And that led me back home. That led me to the DC area because I was going to go on the policy. And then when my plan didn't work out, I was crushed. I had given up my life in Miami. I had no plan B. But as I've heard, everyone is somebody of faith on this call. Like God had a different plan for me. So when my number one plan didn't work out to be a White House intern at the time in 20, 2014, I got a meeting. I got an immediate like word, or I could say I heard a voice that was like, oh, why don't you support foster care youth by providing them with a vehicle of entrepreneurship? And that's where Fosterpreneur was born. Um, and I'm somebody who does not, like, I was like, oh, maybe this already exists. I'm not going to recreate something that already exists. I found nothing tied to supporting young people who had this experience in foster care and who wanted to explore entrepreneurship. So well, something miraculous happened as I started taking steps to do research and putting it out there, people started coming to me um, with support throughout the process. So fast forward to 2017, we had our first in-person cohort with the, the Urban League of Baltimore with a proud student of one. I used to be so ashamed that we start off with one student, but I'm reminded that you don't despise small beginnings. Like it just takes one person to start. Um, and through that experience, um, we learned a lot throughout the process, was able to couple up, um, partner up with um, William Hanablu, who is now our lead entrepreneurship instructor, who provided that instruction. And I did the social emotional support and kind of leading into um, my experience supporting and coaching foster care youth to combine that to provide this experience for foster care youth. So as life was lifing, we didn't have another cohort. I was trying to figure out what things were going to be. At the end of 2019, we established ourselves actually on the 31st of December 2019. We officially became a 501c3. And in 2020, we launched virtual cohorts. Before, I didn't think virtual cohorts were possible because I'm like, oh, we need to be in person. Our foster, our youth need to see us. They need to touch us. They need to be there with us. And then, you know, COVID happened and it was like, well, we got to move virtual. And I'm so glad COVID happened because COVID was literally the best thing to ever happen to us because as a result, we could impact youth all over the nation. So since 2020, since the really the end of the summer of 2020, we have had five virtual cohorts and we've had students from every region of the country apply to be part of Fosterpreneur. And as a result, we've served approximately 30 youth um, through our virtual cohort model. So it's been a small intimate model in the sense of business instruction, but also making sure our students have the support of whatever they're going through. I love how Maslow's hierarchy has been all up in the conversation because we're all in agreement that if your basic needs aren't met, you can't even think about self-actualization, all those other things. So we recognize that 
while our students are embarking on their entrepreneurship journey, how can we support them with providing them with access to career opportunities? I've had students talk about their mental health and I make those referrals because I am not a trained um, clinician to help support with those things. So understanding that we want our students to show up as their whole selves in a space, in a world where they're not allowed to be their whole selves, but through the vehicle of entrepreneurship and introducing them to those skills and helping them grow and expand their businesses, it can open them up to a whole wide world of opportunities. Um, so as a result of the work, the seeds have been planted, the work that has been done in Fosterpreneur, um, really proud of the students that we've um, we've been able to serve. And I wanna highlight two students who are very comfortable with sharing their stories. Um, one of our students, Anthony, I knew him through another nonprofit job that I had because my full-time work is in the nonprofit youth development space. And he came to us and he wanted to start his own photography business. Well, he was a talented photographer, but he didn't have any clients. So as a result of his due diligence and really taking advantage of all of our sessions, he went from using his words to barely booked and booked and busy. And as a result, his work has been featured in Essence, it's been featured in Forbes Magazine, he shot New York Fashion Week. He also just shared with me earlier this week that through one of his photo gigs, one of his photo um, shoots that he did, he was introduced to Sheila Johnson. I'm not sure if you guys know who Sheila Johnson is, but Sheila Johnson is the, the ex-wife of Bob Johnson, who is one of the few Black billionaires in the country. And Bob Johnson went on to found BET. And Sheila Johnson is a mogul in her own right um, and has created a whole luxury um, experience when it, when it comes to her resorts that she has um, all over the country. So he just shared that he's doing a photo shoot for her. And I'm like, this is an incredible opportunity because you don't know what other doors can open. And those seeds were planted to Fosterpreneur. And he currently is a member of our board, on our board at Fosterpreneur. And then I have a young woman that who, whenever I feel like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, she reminds me that it's to keep going. Um, she found us, she was someone who was human trafficked, someone who like had uh, overcome so much in her life. Um, and one of the things that she wanted to do was help connect with other young women, other young girls who are either been victims of human trafficking or who are at risk of being human trafficked. And what inspired me was that she wrote her books all on her cell phone and published them. Um, just literally from her cell phone. And she decided to go on the fosterpreneur journey with us. And through um, the support of the, just through generous support of different community members, we were able to provide her with a full laptop and a printer so that she could be able to enhance her business and enhance her writing without having to go through unnecessary hurdles to do that. And while she was writing her books on her cell phone, she was also balancing having three children. Um, and most of that time she was also unemployed. As a result of time and like her commitment, she was able to um, secure gainful employment while still writing and really help uplift her family out of poverty in so many ways that she wouldn't have been able to. So just those are two examples of just what we know is the power of entrepreneurship, the power of fosterpreneur, the power of really allowing our young people to show up authentically as themselves and providing the space for them. So one of the things that 
I'm proud of is our nonlinear journey, our small beginnings. So not despising small beginnings at all. And one of the things that I am most excited about right now is that we are launching a podcast this fall that's going to um, really depict the stories of our students and why they've chosen fosterpreneur and what their journeys have been like. Um, and we also are changing our cohort model to help support those who are just curious about foster about entrepreneurship, but aren't don't have a full-fledged business idea. And then doing fosterpreneur 2.0 for those who have an idea up and running and they're ready to scale because we recognize that we've had to make some shifts in our model. Um, and we're just we're just getting started. So um so grateful that I was given this vision that I've been trusted to help execute this. Um, because what I do know is that like the call is qualified. And although I am somebody who hasn't had the lived experience, I'm someone who's an advocate, I'm someone that our students trust, I'm someone that our students know that they can rely on and that fosterpreneur is a safe space for them to be and be who they are. So that concludes <laughs> my, um, my intro, or I should say just my overview of the work that we've been doing. I'm happy to connect with anybody who's interested. So you can go to fosterpreneur.org. You can find us on the social media handles at fosterpreneurs with an S. So we're, we're, here, to, we're here to help support. We're here to serve. And, and I want to just thank you all for your time. Thank you, Erica. Thank you, Erica. I salute you for what you're doing. You're going to advocate for that, not being brought up in the foster system, but you care so much about it. Thank you so much for all that you're doing. Now we're going to have some closing remarks for our visionary, Gigi Sabat, and we're going to close out in prayer. Wow, absolutely amazing. We heard from amazing speakers from all over the world today. Thank you all. Thank you to our sponsors. And thank you, Dr. James, our amazing master of ceremonies. And thank you all for attending today. We truly appreciate each and every one of you. Now we heard some powerful nuggets tonight. Oh my goodness. Wow. And, and I tell you what, each and every one of you truly matters. If you're listening to this message today, you matter. And yes, as Jacob was saying earlier today, you do deserve a home. Everyone deserves a home and you're not alone. One of my favorite verses is Joshua 1, 9. It states, haven't I commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid or discouraged for your Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. He's with you wherever you go. So if you're listening to this message today, remember you're not alone. Hold on, hold on, and hold on to faith and keep going no matter what. Thank you. And at this time, I pass it over to our Master of Ceremonies, Dr. Lakeisha James, to end us off with a prayer. Mm -hmm. First, I'd like to say before I end off with prayer, thank you guys so much for sharing the platform with us. There's so many um, people out here that was watching that has been impacted greatly by you guys' voices because, you know, we are the voice of the voices. So thank you guys for being transparent, sharing your story, and being vulnerable because we need it in today. And again, minister, Florida, I'm going back to those four A's, appraisal, adjustment, application, intention. If you guys did not write that down, write it down because it is applicable in our lives today. Take note of that. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father, for this day. We thank you, Father, for this day that you've made and we're exceedingly rejoicing. We thank you, Father, for these amazing individuals that was transparent, Father, that were vulnerable, Father. And we know when we go through life, it's not for us or for someone else, Father. We thank you for the strength, Father. We thank you for the voice that you've given us, Father. We thank you for everything that you've instilled in us, Father. We thank you right now for the ones that's watching. 
the ones that's in foster care, the one that has been there, and the ones that's been impacted by this, Father. We thank you right now for what's going on in the world, Father. We thank you for standing strong because your word is our bond, Father. We thank you right now for being the head of our lives, Father. We thank you for being the Alpha and Omega, Father. We thank you right now for blessing us today, in spite of what it looks like in the world, Father. We thank you for your hand that's always on us, Father. We thank you right now, Father. Bless everyone from the from the crowns of their heads to the soles of their feet. We thank you, Father. We're going to continue to walk with you, continue to pray to you, Father, continue to stand on your word because your word does not come back void. We thank you, Father, for this day. We give you all the honor, the praise, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. God bless you and be safe.